Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. Oh, before I start, um, I do want to say this. Um, uh, I was super encouraged when I got back um, just to see um, how much, this is our prayer list from last week, how much you guys prayed. Um, and I think this is one of the most effective weeks in the life of our church, maybe, since I've ever been here. And you might be like, David, what do we do? And I'm like, well, you prayed. And that's a huge, like, we overestimate what we can actually do. Um, we really do. There are things that God's given us as, as our tasks in this world. And then there's things that we must ask him because only him, only he can do it. So I was like, I was just like, amen, amen, hallelujah. All that to say, let's begin Ecclesiastes chapter five. Reading the first three verses again, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are doing, that they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, but let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. I read this uh, this morning, and uh, one of the things it brought to mind, I don't know if uh, you guys have heard this, some of my favorite lyrics, blame it all on my roots, I showed up in boots and ruined your black tie affair, the last one to know, the last one to show, I was the last one you thought you'd see there, and I saw the surprise and the fear in your eyes when I took his glass of champagne, and I toasted you, honey, we may be through, but you'll never hear me complain, because I got friends in low places. Where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away, I'll be okay. Yeah, I ain't big on social graces. Think I'll step on down to the oasis. Oh, I've got friends. Where, guys? I was about to enter kindergarten when that song came out. Uh, Garth Brooks wrote that uh, back in the day. One of the most popular songs, I mean, ever. Not just country, but literally ever. It pictures a man who, he comes into a wedding, uninvited and improperly dressed at the wedding reception. And who's getting married? It's his former lover. Who has met another man and has married him. He crashes the wedding, showing a recklessness that few people would ever show, and a carelessness and a casualness that is so outrageous and we don't think it would ever happen that it almost kind of makes us laugh when we hear the song for the first time. But you know what, as I was studying this this week, is so much of today is on the tongue. How that is a fallen part of our, our, our humanity. I think if we don't realize it, this same kind of careless and casualness can mark our lives. Now, we might not show up at somebody else's wedding and grab the champagne from the groom. 
But dang, it seems like I have a problem. Call it the inability to sense the moment. Call it naivete or being naive. Call it just plain rude. That if we're all honest, if you're honest this morning, just honest with yourself, I think you would realize, like I realized, that we have thrown away many of our words, said things in a careless way, and have a life with our tongue that is so careless that it's not just done damage to us, but it's been done great significant damage to those around us. Now, it's interesting because the Bible just doesn't leave it there. It just doesn't say, hey, you've got a problem, deal with it. The Bible actually acknowledges, yo, if you're feeling this problem, it's because you actually have a problem like all the rest of humanity. But here's the thing. It does offer a unique solution to this problem that you can't get anywhere else. So maybe you're here this morning, you're like, David, I realize I got a problem. My, my boyfriend just dumped me. My girlfriend just dumped me. I realize maybe I'm kind of careless with my words. Maybe you're like, David, I, I got a problem. I just got a huge argument last night. And it just reminded me that, like, you know what? I am falling with my words. I got, like, 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 then I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. That we're going to see from the wisdom of Ecclesiastes a particular way to treat our tongues and to look at our tongues this morning. Ecclesiastes is honest enough to tell us two things this morning. So if you're a note-taker, this is going to be profoundly helpful for you. If you're a note-taker, all right, point number one, like, our carelessness with our words has led to a disastrous life, not just with man, but with God. Not just with man, but with God. Number two, Wisdom is found in treasuring calmness over carelessness. Let's look at verse 1 through 3 again as I read this carefully. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near is better to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are, do- they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. You might be like, David, I'm new to this whole, like, to maybe this Christianity thing. What's going on here? He's picturing, just to maybe catch you up, he's picturing a scene that you'll see. That the Old Testament, this part of the Bible, we saw that God relates to his people in a specific way. He dwells in a specific area, and his people come to him in a specific way. And what he's telling them is he's telling them to guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, some of you might be thinking, David, is this saying something about maybe like the atmosphere of like a worship gathering? No, it's not. Some people have said that kind of thing. I don't think that's actually kind of here at all. But what is he doing? And what's he's getting at? Here's the thing. Whenever you're reading, this is a good tool for you. One of the things, when you read your Bibles, one of the best things that you can do as you're reading, don't just read, 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 read. That might be helpful. So, reading some books. But many times, one of the things that the Bible is to do is you're designed to be able to stop and ask questions like, wait, What's going on? What's going on? What does he mean to guard your steps? Okay, that's the question. What, like, like, what's, like, do I have something on my shoe? Why do I need to guard my steps? What else? To draw near or to listen is better than the sacrifice of fools. What's going, what is the sacrifice of fools? 
So you see, already just by reading that first sentence, we've already got two questions that we got to walk through. In the same way, this is what you do on your own time. When you're reading, for instance, when you wake up in, in the morning, get your coffee, when you're reading, this is one of the things that you do. If you journal, write down questions that you have. It helps tremendously. What is he getting at here? Guarding your steps. Like we said, does that mean he has something on his shoe? No. This guy, one of the things, he's picturing him walking into the presence of God. And he says, guard your steps. If you have read, for instance, some of the Psalms, you're going to notice it says things like the steps of a man are established by the Lord. Lord, guard my steps. Oftentimes, one of the things we see in the Bible is steps are a metaphor for your whole way of life, for your character, for who you are as a person. He's saying, guard Yourself, guard when you go in before God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. What is that? The sacrifice of fools. I did some reading on this this week. I'm like, I, 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 I genuinely did not know. And one of the things we might think in the Old Testament, there's lots of sacrifices. You might think that this is maybe a specific sacrifice. I don't really think that's it. What this is, in some ways, is just basically kind of walking casually before God and being like, hey, you know what, like, I'll, I'll throw you some stuff, sure, and then I'm just going to go and live on my merry way. It's interesting, I think we live in a part of the world that would probably take heart to know this. It's a casualness towards God that treats him as just maybe on the outskirts of our lives. You might be like, David, why would somebody do this? And this is where we get to the heart of the matter. Verse 3, what does he say? For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. Next slide. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Did I miss a verse? I think I missed a verse. Oh, but back to verse 2. I'm sorry. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Why would someone do this? Why would someone just walk into the presence of God and just be like, hey, you know what? I mean, I'll, I'll give you something. Sure, no problem. Like, why would somebody do this? It's almost like the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, is that you've actually forgot where you're located. God's in heaven. You're on earth. Here's what he's getting at. One of the things that the Bible teaches is that whenever, like, our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what happens is they began to forget their role. Adam and Eve, in their quest to be their own gods and live their own ways and living their own rules and regulations, what they did is they actually marred their lives where they actually began to see themselves as what's most important and what's highest in the universe and they relegated God to something second, third, or last. That part of the fall in the Bible is that we forget who we are. So this guy, he just foolishly comes in, talks about God. As if he's his hum homeboy or he's some butler in charge of bringing happiness to his life. And you know this morning... Probably a few of us would be like, yeah, that's been me. 
But then one of the things that the author does is he's trying to get us to learn from this guy. What do we learn? Look at verse 4. This is what we learn from this. He's talking about the fool up in verses 1 through 3. What he's doing now, he's talking to who would be wise. What are you to do? Like, what do you do? This fool, he comes in, he just vows stuff to God, and he doesn't really ever plan on fulfilling it. Like, how, how do you and I relate to this? Verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth not lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry and destroy the voice, your voice and the, destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and grow, uh, words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. It's interesting we live in a, a culture like if you... If you think about it, if you wanted to go buy something large, what do you have to do? You have to go to the bank. And when you're at the bank, you're like, hey, I want to get a loan for like, let's say you're getting a loan for $100,000. You're buying a house. So here's one of the things that doesn't happen. You don't walk in there and you say, I want to get this. And they're like, good. You handshake on it and then you walk out with $100,000. That's never how it works. In our culture, what do you have to do? You have to? Write up a contract, sign your name about 11 bajillion times on a sheet of paper, all right? And then what happens? You receive the money. When we read this, it's tricky because you know what we don't really have? We don't have vows much in our culture. I mean, we have them at weddings, but where else do you have them? Probably the closest thing that we have is when we're kids, when we have like a pinky promise. But really, there's nothing else. You might be like, David, what's a vow? Like, what are you talking, like, what is this talking about? That in this culture that this was written in, when you said that you were going to do something, you would make a vow, and that would be like a legal contract. Even though there was no contract, you would promise with your lips, and it would be golden. Now, you and I might think that's weird. But if you think about it, we're kind of the weird ones. It's not natural to need things like contracts. It only shows that our tongues have actually said that we'll promise to do something and we don't actually do it. So what does he say? When you vow a vow to God, in verse 4, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. How might this relate to us? You might be like, David, in what ways do we actually vow? I would say that there are good things for us to vow to the Lord. I'll give you some examples. So some of you guys, this past week, you fasted. One of the things that the Bible encourages, I would say in, from this verse is, don't say, hey, I'm going to fast, and then just not do it. Or don't get halfway through your fast and be like, you know what, I'm kind of hungry, I'm just going to throw in the towel. He's like, don't do that. Like, you wouldn't do that to a person. Why would you and I do it to God? I'll give you an exa another example. There's times of my life, so I'm a podcaster, I speaking love podcasts. I don't listen to music, even though I play a ton of it. I love podcasts. One of my favorite podcasts is the Bill Simmons podcast. You probably have never heard of it. It is a sports podcast where I probably develop a lot of my humor, right? It's just a great podcast. I love it. There are seasons like this one for the month of July when we're doing like our prayer initiative, when we did our prayer initiative, that I'm like, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to take my time off from this. I'm not going to listen to it. 
And so that when I'm driving in the car from place to place, I'll be able to be literally like spot on focus. Is listening to this podcast bad? No, it's great. I love it. I've listened to it for like 10 years. I love this podcast. Yet at the same time. And you know what? It's so funny. I went on vacation last week. And I was driving up. It's up in like North Georgia area where I was going. Long car, car ride. Let me ask you, what do you think I was tempted to do? I mean, I'm like, well, God, like, I mean, the month's like kind of over. It might as well be over. Like, I mean, really, you've gotten out of this. And these are all the things I'm telling myself in my head. Or maybe this is a helpful one I did in college. There would be days where I would literally just be like, I'm only going to spend this day. I'm not going to see anybody else on this day. I'm just going to go out into the woods. and I'm just going to spend the whole day. In prayer, reflection, singing, those type of things. Sometimes a Georgia, Florida football game would be on when I did that. And what I have to do, I had to make a choice. We have to make a choice. And one of the things that this is saying is vows can be helpful in your relationship with God. But when you make them, actually follow through on them. Don't excuse them away because that is what we tend to do. You and I tend to treat God as if he is not a person. That we have a fallenness even in our language towards God. There's an emptiness in our speech towards God. Now you might be thinking, David, what do I do if I vowed something stupid to God? What if I said, hey, Lord, I'm going to spend all this day with you and you forgot it's your anniversary day. I would say that there are times where you can be like, okay, Lord... You know. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make this date up in another way. Not because you need it. Not because you require it. But because I am devoted to you. And I want to walk with you. And I want to spend time with you. What this is saying is don't treat our walk with God as if it is some like flippant thing. That there can be an over-casualness in the way that we relate to him. Yes, he is our friend. Totally true. It does not mean that we should walk around serious and drab all day either. That's not what this is saying. There is some intentionality here in the way that we relate to him. Does that make sense? That we don't approach him casually. We don't approach him with a carelessness like the fool did. But you see, one of the things that Ecclesiastes gets at is that our foolish tongues don't just stop with God. They actually pour themselves out on other human beings as well. That you and I need wisdom for our tongues. And you know what? The book of Ecclesiastes doesn't disappoint. Number two, wisdom is found in treasuring calmness over carelessness. Ecclesiastes 7.21, this is what it says. You can turn there if you'd like. Well, we'll start at verse 20. It says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take heart. To, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. This is so cool. I mean, I mean, this has never happened, right, to you? Like you found out that like someone was talking trash about you. 
Like, that's never happened to us, right? Oh, my gosh. Like, that, that happens to us all the time. We hear what somebody said about us. And one of the things, it's interesting. If this has ever happened to you, what's the emotion that you get right away when you hear this kind of thing? When someone, like, has been dogging you, what's the emotion that you get? You're like, like, there's something in you that's like, and you know what? This is where Ecclesiastes, it catches you off guard. Because what would you expect it to say? In our culture, there is a part of a, of many times, I think I was taught this growing up, which looking back on I'm like, I don't think that's Christianity yet, nor do I think that's helpful. Let's say when someone says something about you, you'll say like, oh, what I'll do is I'll just take the high road. I'll be the bigger man. Well, that sounds clever. But how does it actually compare to what he says? What does he say? Do not take heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. I forgot to include the next verse. It says this, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Here's what's going on. Maybe you're like David. I've, I've, I've had that before. And what I'm going to do is when I hear people like say something wrong about me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to be the better man. Not so fast, my friend. Here's why. One of the things you know that this doesn't work is because when you choose to do that, you're still mad as mess at them, aren't you? You are. And it doesn't actually solve the problem. And here's the worst thing. When you do that, here's what you're actually doing. You are actually treating them on the basis of your own self-righteousness. So what happens is you are seeing yourself higher and higher and higher and higher. So now the next time someone actually dogs you again, you're even going to be more angry than you were then. What does the author of Ecclesiastes say? Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. He's saying, do not interact with people based on your own perception of your self-righteousness. Interact with people with the idea of your fallenness and sinfulness in mind. Here's what this means. When you find this out, here's, you could be like, how dare they? Like, how, how dare they? How dare they? Or you could be this. You know? There's probably that, there's some, probably kind of true. Now, this case is not. Man, I've done lots of worse things than that, though. And man, I, I can really see Myself in that action. They, they, they spoke that against me. I remember the times that I've done that. What happens when you do this? Here's what begins to happen. Instead of looking at them with like these eyes of like a devil, where you're like, you just want to absolutely like smash them. What happens? You begin noticing an aroma that's there in that action that you recognize because you've done the same thing. And all of a sudden, instead of, wow, I want to kill this person. It's like, wow. I know what it's like to do that. Because I've done it. And I've done far worse. And what happens? 
is you actually begin to sympathize and empathize with that person. Not looking down on them to be like, oh, I'm a, <laughs> you're like a little small man right here. Like a little, I'm, I'm so much higher than you. No. You begin to look at them and be like, oh, I know what that feels like. That reminds me of me. You might be like, David, that, that's cool. Like, I'm new here today. I'll take that one and I'll set that one aside. That'll help my relationships. You know what? Here's what I would tell you. That depending on who you are in this room, this will actually be impossible for you right now. It could be possible for you, but right now it's not possible at all. Here's why. The only way that you can do this is you have to have a keen awareness of the evil that you've done. And you actually have to be able to feel this. You have to feel the weight of what you've done. Even the things that like people haven't seen. You have to be able to feel the weight of that. And you can't. And here's why you might not be able to this morning. Because in your mind, the greatest tragedy in life is when people offend you. And you have to have the ability to be able to see that there is a person who is offended more than you are. And that is God. That he is offended. That you have rebelled against him and you deserve judgments. You deserve it. And you you begin to feel, but that's the beauty of Christianity, where you should get judgment. You, if you repent of your sins and walk with Him, you get grace. He pours out the wrath, deserving towards you, on another person, on Jesus Christ. So now what happens? You have the ability to do this. Why? Because you can look back and you can see Wow, look at all I've done to offend my fellow man. Look at all I've done to offend God. And now what can you do? You can look at other people and you can be like, and instead of responding in in deep anger, you respond in grace. Friend, this could be your ability today. But it doesn't come naturally. You must turn your life over to Jesus Christ. You must. You must walk with him. You must leave you ruling your own life and and put him on the throne of your life. You need to be converted. You need to to love Jesus Christ. That's what you need. If that's you, hey, I'd love to talk to you this morning. Love to. So are you saying, because I can imagine, maybe you're here this morning. David, you just want me to roll over like a dead dog? And you just want me to, like, when people, like, say something to me, you just want me to rub, roll over and show my belly? Just get killed? But oh, wait. Look at chapter 10, verse 4. He continues. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness 
will lay great offenses to rest. Now, this is different. What's going on in this case? All of a sudden, in this case, you're the one getting blasted again, right? You're the one getting blasted. This time, you're getting blasted, apparently, by someone pretty important. Ruler? So you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. He rises against you. This is his way of saying, his problem is not with anybody else. Who is it with? You. And here's the assumption. That this person is angry with you, and you actually didn't do anything wrong. So what do you do? Do you roll over and take it? I love what he says this. Do not leave your place. And you might be like, David, I don't know what that means. And you know what? If I didn't read the next line, neither would I. But if you notice this word right here, if you ever see that word in your Bible, one of the things that this often is doing, especially if there's some space right there, is it's explaining the line before it. Do not leave your place. Explanation. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. What's the picture here? That you are getting verbally assaulted with something that you didn't do. And here's what you do. You listen. I listen. And I remain calm. Even though the accusations in my mind are completely false. You might be like, David, are, 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 are you sure about this? What is this actually accomplishing? Notice what he says. He's not saying you're going to get slaughtered. Notice what he says. Most of the time what happens? Your calmness will lay all these great offenses he has against you to rest. You might be like, David, what does this look like? David, what does this look like? Let's say someone here is angry with you. Angry with you. Your first, my first reaction is this outrage. And immediately, what do you do? You start not just talking with each other, but what? Talking over one another and then talking past one another. Like, all kind, like this is what we do, right? Your volume escalates. This is what we do. In fact, some of us, this is, this is all we knew growing up. We were raised in homes like this. What do you do? You slam doors. You have knockdown dragouts. You You yell. That's what you do. Others of us, like me, came from sometimes some worse scenarios, which is just like passivity. You shut down. I shut down. But this isn't any healthier, because all we do is end up wielding our silence like a sword. So what is he doing this? And what does this look like in your life? That when you have a situation like this, to truly listen to the person and wait till they're done talking. 
That we, before we came to know Christ, we were so casual with our words that what we would do is it would just flow out, flow out, flow out. And he's saying, stop and just listen. Yes, to all those accusations. Yes. Listen to them. Listen to them. Even if you know, because this happens. Sometimes you'll get this. Somebody will be going on and on and on and on and on. And it's because something that they're arguing right at the beginning was completely false. And yet they're going on and on. And you're just like, if you knew that this was not the case, you would like shut up right now. Because like all of this would be gone. Listen anyway. Listen. Do not talk. Be calm. And this is hard. Why? Because in doing this, you are forfeiting your right to outrage. And that's hard. You're forfeiting your right to outrage because you know that you've been misrepresented and you know that they don't have all the facts. He's not saying, hey, don't say anything. That's not what he's saying. It is saying, wait till they're done. And then you can say things, something like maybe, maybe they do have a misunderstanding. This is where you say, you know what? I can understand why you would think that and why you arrived at this conclusion. I could see that. Like if I had all the data that you have, like that, I would arrive at that same conclusion. Can I share this with you? And this might change the way you think. What if this assumption that you had, that's not actually what happened. Instead, it was this. What are you doing? You are refusing the right of outrage. You are actually choosing calmness over casualness with your speech. And what that does over time is it brings life to our relationships. The knockdown dragouts that characterize our relationships begin to fade. It's not that they won't exist anymore. There's a, probably always a part of our fallen creation and us in our fallen bodies where we're going to do that. But to fight desperately against that. To remain calm. And the only way we can do this, guys, the only way, again, the only way you can do this is knowing that there's a God who said worse things about you. We say that all the time. Whatever they're saying, God, believe it or not, on the cross said worse things about you and I than that. Because he knows it all. Not only is he aware of the sins that you are aware of, he's also aware of the sins that you're not aware of. We think the best person who knows me is me. Man, in some ways, that's true. In some ways, I'm the person who's most deceived about me. In some ways, it's funny. Nobody knows me better than me. In some ways... I'm like a new person when I meet me all the time. I think I'm this person when I'm really not. What are you doing when you're doing this, when you're forfeiting the right to outrage? When you are doing this, here's what you're doing. You are sympathizing with the person. Because here's the thing. They aren't sovereign and they don't know all the facts. But here's the thing. You aren't either. You don't know all the facts. You can only see life from this one perspective. And it might be right, but there's some ways it might be wrong. Only God can actually see them as he is. 
as it is. Look at verse 20. I love this. Look at this one. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. I love this. I just insert the word little because it totally do that in English. For a little bird of the air will carry your voice. Literally the image is your voice hops on the back of like little Tweety Bird and carries it where? He will carry your voice. Or some winged creature will tell the matter. Your voice hops on the back of Tweety Bird and goes and arrives at the person that you said it about. This is tricky. Remember, we're seeing not just the fallenness of our tongue towards God in vows. We dealt with that. But remember, in Ecclesiastes, the assumption is there's a fallenness amongst one another. So what is he getting at here in this case? Here's what he says. If you ever take a look at these. So here's another tool for those of you. When you read your Bible and you see these indentions like this. So here, indent over. What this means, these are often paired together. So for instance, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. Nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. These two are together. Your thoughts, your bedroom. These two are together, king and rich. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. What is he saying here? Let's break down. What is he not saying? He's not saying, oh, don't curse the rich in your bedroom, but you can in your kitchen. He's not saying, oh, don't curse the rich here, but you can over there. That's not what he's saying. What is he doing here? He's saying, The way that you talk about people, he's like, do not even do it in the most private of places. Your thoughts. Who's there? Who's in your thoughts? Besides God? Just you. Nor your bedroom. Who's in your bedroom? If you're married in this room, just one person. He's literally saving, in the most private of places, do not actually do this. And you're like, wait, what, what's, he, what, what, what's he getting at here? Here's what he's getting at. He's saying that the wise man, that the wise woman, makes it a part of their life so that they would become a particular kind of person. That might be strange language. They want to become a particular person kind of person. Let me explain. So when I wake up every morning, I make my bed. I do. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. It's not a sin not to. It's not a sin to do it. I mean, you can do either one. Here's the thing, though. I know I struggle with organization. So what I have to do is I start my days making my bed and putting everything in order. Why? So that I would become the kind of person who is organized, although I am not naturally doing that. You see that? The bed is the tone setter for what happens. I want to be the kind of person who is organized. What's he saying here? 
He's saying to truly, if you want to be wise, the wise man, what does he or she do? They make it. They seek to make themselves into a kind of person. What kind of person is this? That they do not talk about other people, even in the most private of places. They refuse. Even in my thoughts, I refuse to dwell on the downfalls of other people. And that is one of the ways that I become that kind of person. Whenever I do have those things, I say, stop, Lord, even in my thoughts, I will not curse them. Even when I'm in the smallest of areas, Marrieds, people with close friends, this can be something very tricky because sometimes what happens is when we're with people that we're loving and that we're comfortable with, we sometimes get looser in our mouths than we should be. This is where you have to, in some ways, hold one another accountable, that you're not confessing the sins of another person to somebody else. That we want to be the kind of people that don't do this even in our thoughts. And the reason he's like, hey. The reason why he does this is he's like, trust me, people have a way of finding out. Even if it's just one person. But what you want to do, you want to become the kind of person who does not do that. And here's the thing. Here's what you and I will immediately do. We'll start thinking of exceptions. Like this person is so rude. Or what we'll do is we'll put it in terms of like venting or, or frustration or annoyances. That's what we do. When really that's, this is what we're doing. I have to be super careful about this. I do. I have like... That the kind of wisdom that Ecclesiastes is arguing for is that you and I take such care, even in the most secretive of places, so that we might become a kind of people who are not so casual with our tongues. But there's a calmness that's there. There's a calmness. Now, some of you, you might be thinking, this is where we'll end today. David, does this mean that I, can, I can't rebuke anybody? No. It doesn't mean that. There's going to be times. There's been times when some of you have come to me and rebuked me. I'm grateful for that. Does this not mean that I can bring it? Does this mean that I can't bring up character flaws in someone else? No. But what you want to avoid is confessing their sins to other people. Maybe you need wisdom on how to approach a specific person. This is where I would say cautiously, you could invite one other person or two other people into this, but you have to make it desperately clear to them. You might be like, David, how would you do here? Let's say I really struggle like with, with a particular person in communicating with them. I might bring two people in, and here's what I would say. And here's some things you could say. Guys, I want you to really know, I struggle with my tongue. 
Like, I, I, I sin all the time with my tongue, and I don't want to slander this person. And I don't want this to turn into like a hate fest on blank person here. But here, here's, I don't know how to, here's the situation. I'm going to explain it from my point of view. It might not be right. How would you guys, how can I best go about this? And what are you doing in that moment? You are cautiously, you're cautiously using your words instead of carelessly. That we are a kind of people who need this wisdom. To remember that God is in heaven and that we are on earth. That we would have godly determination to respond to people thinking of our own sinfulness instead of theirs. That we would not operate out of some perceived righteousness that we have. That we would stay calm. The Lord would give us the ability to do that. That we would constantly preach the cross of Christ to ourselves. Because that's the only way we can do it. That's the only way I can do it. That to practice this in our relationships. That God has given this wisdom to us so that we might practice it. This could be a great thing, a great conversation starter. In your own home, around lunch today. But may the Lord make us into these kind of people who are cautious with our tongue, who are calm, as it will put aside many offenses. And we need it, y'all. In an age where we say anything we want to on with 140 characters, we need it badly. May the Lord grant us grace to do this. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.